0: Welcome to another episode of Web Dev Weekly, the weekly podcast about
1: web development. I'm Richard Gottlieber. And I'm Brad Garropy. This week, we're going to be talking about source control. Source control is really just all about where you store your code and how you store different versions of your code. So Richard, I'll start out with this. Have you ever worked at a company that did not use source control? Not that I can remember. When I
0: first started working in this space, I'm trying to remember what the name of the source control that we used was. It had a, it had like a turtle or something as a mascot. SVN? SVN, yes, that was it. I don't know why I wanted to say MVC, but I was like, that is not it. SVN, yes, it was SVN. And I don't know, it, it wasn't really used company-wide. But again, this was back in like 2003,
1: so a while ago. Yeah, when I first joined Dell, they were using SVN. But at this point in time today, I can't think of a a single company that I've worked at or interviewed at that uses SVN for source control. You know, the provider that we're all going to be familiar with today is Git, I guess let's back up and just talk about why you need to version your code or source control your code. So, have you ever been working on something and you've made lots of different changes and at some points it works and at some points it doesn't and you don't know what the changes you made were for. You just kind of have a file in time sitting on your system. That's why version control is helpful. It enables you to take snapshots of your code at different points in time and store it somewhere else so that if your machine lights on fire one day because you were just programming too fast, you won't lose any of your work. Yeah, and I think we should like back up a second
0: because I, I, so first of all, it doesn't always enable you to store it somewhere else, right? One thing with using something like Git Is that it gives you that version control where you can kind of keep track of changes over time, right? That's one piece, which is very helpful for the first thing that you mentioned, where you can run into problems where like things were working 30 minutes ago and I have no idea what happened. So you can roll back to where things were working. Then you get into like the repository for source control that's off of your computer right? So that you can kind of think of it like a remote backup for changes and, and still kind of just thinking like one person doing the work. That way, if you light your computer on fire because you're mining too many, I don't know, Brad coins, then, you know, you have that backup there, which is fantastic. And then like, I don't know, you kind of even take another step, right? Where like you start working on a team and now you get into the way more complex version control where suddenly you have to think about merging code together and keeping track of like multiple people's versions right and you mentioned like git is is pretty much the industry standard these days i know there's some fairly large tech companies out there that still use material and have like a mono repo and it works pretty well but for most places especially in the web development realm
1: git is like the standard yeah and git Is a special kind of source control provider because it's a distributed source control. What that means is that everybody who is connected to the origin repository can clone code down to their local machines and have a copy of the version control system on their machine, which we refer to as local. That's right. So you have a local copy
0: where you're in control of what happens there and you can mess around, make a bunch of changes, save those changes in Git, that's called committing. And once you're ready and you have like a nice little package with a bow on it of changes that you would like to put on the central repository, then you can push those changes up to that repository, right? So a couple of like Git terms, I think that we're just going to focus on Git mostly, Brad, is that true?
1: Yeah, yeah, sounds good.
0: So. Just to like get a couple terms out of the way real quick, we have, when you make a change and you save it, that's going to be a commit, right? So you're going to commit those changes to the repository. Then you can take your local copy of the repository and push it up to the remote repository. If there's changes there that you need to get, you'll need to pull them down to your local copy of the repository. So there's just a couple terms there's commit, push and pull.
1: And then I'd so, like to add one yeah. more. As you're, as you're picking what files to commit, the git term for that is add. You add or remove the files that you want to add or remove from a commit. And the yes. act of adding or removing files is actually called staging. Those files are now staged for commit. And then when you run the commit command, any files that are staged are included in that commit. That's right,
0: and a lot of what you'll
1: see is gets one of those things
0: where a lot of people use it every day. And I found in my experience, like unless you really dig into it, you just get a couple of commands that you're like, these are the things I run when I'm coding. You don't really pay much attention to what you're doing. So you just like make a bunch of changes on your file system and you get add dot, which says add everything in this directory. And you're like, cool. You don't really care about what you're adding. And then you commit all those changes, right? And depending on how frequently you do this and everything, that can be perfectly fine practice. And you won't end up with any like negative side effects. If you haven't created a file called gitignore, sometimes you'll add some files in there that you really don't mean to add. Like your node modules. You never want to add those. There's a d of them. And so you can get add everything. And suddenly now you have your node modules in there, right? So like, that's another piece of like, The more that you are aware of what's going on with Git, the more explicit you
1: can be in what you do so that you don't have these issues. Yeah, and just to go a little bit deeper into that .gitignore file, you should check in the gitignore file to your repos. And essentially the contents of that file are a bunch of glob patterns that say, do not include these files at any time in this repository. So Richard, you mentioned node modules is a great one to put in there. Also any .env files that you use to to save your uh, passwords or API keys or anything like that locally, those should not be checked into Git. So they should be included in your .gitignore file. And then a lot of times, and I know there's some debate on this, but I think it's pretty clear in my eyes, should not be including your build or dist folder. Uh, and should not be checking that into your Git repository. I always like to put that in there.
0: Yeah. And my favorite thing that I've ever seen in a Git ignore, I have to give credit to West Boss, because he has in his Git ignore haters. And that's just beautiful. That was genius. But, but yeah, so that's, that's one thing, understanding what you put in there, what you want Git to just ignore, right? So you don't pay attention to it. So Git is very useful as far as like just... I kind of think of it as like a way to keep track of all the changes. You can even use it if you have like just straight up text documents. You know, if you're an author or working on your blog and you occasionally save changes along the way, this is an awesome thing to do because if you're like, man, you know, that whiskey fueled blog post that I just, you know, changed everything, wasn't the best idea. And you want to roll back those changes. If you have a version control system, for like your blog for example you can do that and that's one thing where i think it's very powerful outside of just the programming world because it's kind of like a giant control z right where you can roll back changes and you can see what has changed along the way now we've been talking mostly about like on your local machine and then we mentioned a repository there's one that everybody knows github right like that is The biggest, probably most popular repository out there that is a remote repository and a lot of people I think associate Git with GitHub, even though they're not directly related, right? GitHub is basically just a server that hosts Git repositories. There's also a couple others. There's GitLab and Bitbucket. Those are two big ones out there as well that serve very similar functions. Like all of these things are basically competing in the same space. They're, you know, like Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, there's GitHub, GitLab, Bitbucket, essentially the same thing, but different features and stuff like that.
1: Yeah. And I think the primary use of these things is to add a really nice UI to the Git CLI. So typically if you're running Git commands, it's on a CLI, but if you want a a better visual picture of all the repositories that you have, all the commits that have gone into them and all the different branches and pull requests, which are terms we're going to get to later on those repositories that's where these providers come into play. I think for the purposes of continuing this conversation, we've we, you know we limited
0: it down to Git from the different version control systems out there. And I think probably you and I are both most familiar with GitHub. So I think we'll stick with that as far as, as we're talking going forward, there may be a couple of things that are GitHub specific. We may or may not call them out, but let's just talk about GitHub real quick. So on GitHub, you have your code in a repository and you've been keeping track of all the changes, right? and there's a concept within git called branches branches are essentially if you picture in your mind a tree you have the trunk that's going to be your main branch right and while it's not a branch the trunk is what you consider like the main branch and from there you can have things that split off those are going to be different branches different like things that you're doing and they may or may not come back to the trunk and at this point, the tree analogy starts to kind of get lost, right? Because it's not really often in a tree that you see a branch leave the main trunk and then rejoin the main trunk. But that's kind of what you're thinking about doing. It's it's more like a, like a subway map, right? Where you see like there's a line that comes off to go over here to a different station. And then maybe it comes back onto the main line, right? That's kind of how code flows in a Git repository. So if you have, you know, your Murph app, just using that as an example because we talk about that all the time. You have that, you know, and you've got the main branch there and that contains all the stuff. And then you decide that you want to add a, uh, a water tracker. See how much water you drink during this workout, right? That would come off on its own branch. You do your work over here so that if at some point you decide to not include that, you can throw it away. Or once you decide to merge it in, put it back into the main branch and click combine it with the main code. Then it's one commit where it shows that code was added here. And that kind of gives you a history so you can look back in time and see what's changed when I look back at the version control, like what do the different versions have, and it kind of keeps it nice and neat and it becomes very powerful when you have a large team. So you have hundreds of branches and they can all start to be merged in at different times. And when you merge those, you have to open something called a pull request normally. Like that's kind of like the best practice is to open a pull request and that's requesting to pull that code in to the main branch i don't know brad do you want to talk through that a little bit more pull requests and how they work
1: yep so github really enables some awesome features around pull requests when a pull request is created typically the the code owner gets an email or something like that there's a notification on your dashboard that says there's a new pull request to your repository when you navigate to that pull request It'll show you all the files that were changed, how many additions and how many deletions. And what it essentially asks you to do is review that code and approve or deny this pull request. And along the way, it makes it really easy for the code owner to make comments. You can invite other people to come in and review the code and make comments or even request changes. And what makes GitHub really, really powerful is all of their actions and automations around things like pull requests so you can even set up stuff where when a pull request is opened you could automatically run tests you can run linting and formatting all sorts of things to validate that this code is good to go and get merged in or pulled into the main branch and i know at my company our entire team structure and code review structure is built around this idea of pull requests that's where all of our collaboration happens at the code level.
0: We mentioned branches and you mentioned pull requests also called PRs normally. There gets to be to a lot of opinionation about how the branches should be set up. Right. And I know different places use different setups for this. There's a very common one that's called Git flow, which. I believe Atlassian is like a champion of this. I know they have fantastic documentation on it. And basically there, you have several different branches. You have the main branch, which is going to be like the copy of what is currently in production. You have a develop branch, which kind of holds everything that's going to be soon released to production. And then you have, you know, features and hot fixes kind of off of that develop branch where different things are being put into place. And one thing that's really cool when you start to think about like GitHub and GitHub actions and even, you know, integrations with like Netlify, for example, you can have different branches deployed to different places. So if you have your, your main branch, you know, that's what's out there in production for your website and then your develop branch, you can have like a test environment where you have this live and ready to use and you can be testing it in a realistic environment while you're getting ready to actually deploy that there's also the idea of just like continuous deployment where there isn't that develop branch anytime a feature is ready to go it's just merged right into the main branch and that feature goes live (laughs) there's a bunch of different ways to do this and and there's a lot of really strong opinions and reasons for doing one way or the other i think The most important thing, at least in my opinion, when it comes to different philosophies around how to do this, is that wherever you are, just being consistent and having an agreement within the team and the larger group of how things are going to work. Because that consistency is very important. It doesn't matter, in my opinion, if you do, you know, a develop branch and then have like scheduled releases, or if you do continuous deployment, as long as everybody's on the same page
1: and everything is like set up to, accommodate that decision. Yeah. And maybe we could take a minute to talk about like how our repos are set up at work and how we do deployments. So at my company, the way we do things is we have our feature branches that that's where you do your development work on. When it's ready, you open a pull request. Everybody on the team looks at it and then it gets merged into master. As soon as that code is merged into master, it automatically gets deployed to our Kind of QA or test environment. And once everything is approved there, we actually use this feature called git tagging, where you can associate a specific name or tag or version number most commonly with a specific point in time of a branch. So, for instance, our code is in master, it's been tested, and we use a git tag to say, this is now version one dot two. And anytime a tag is created, We then publish that out to production. Our automations run on tag creation, and then we push our code out to our production hosting environments, wherever that may be. What's your kind of collaboration workflow?
0: So I've worked in an environment that's basically what you're saying and talking about there, where the tagging equaled a production deploy. And that's great. I think it works really well, and it gives you an easy way to, if something goes wrong, you can roll back. And it kind of gives you that too, it makes release notes easy too, as long as your commit comments have been nicely formatted and consistent because you can kind of roll everything up into one, you know, little package there. Currently, uh, where I work, we do continuous deployment. So every single time that you get a pull request accepted, you merge it straight into the main branch and it goes live. There, there is no QA environment or anything like that, which is uh, pretty interesting. There is a lot of tooling, like the DevOps team has created a ton of tooling around ensuring that as code is rolled out, like there's continuous testing being done on it. And so if there's any issue found, it will roll back that specific commit. Awesome. Um, it, it is like the, the infrastructure around deployments is way beyond me, but it is super impressive. And depending on which area of the code base you're talking about, you know, a commits to live can take somewhere around like 30 minutes to an hour to multiple hours as it rolls out, like slowly over different percentages of the total production space. So it's pretty cool. But, but yeah, it's, it's always kind of intimidating when you're like, and ship it and it's going live, you know, and it just happens like multiple times a day. Like it's kind of, kind of amazing. I'm super impressed that things don't break way more often.
1: (laughs) And I think that's one of the things that source control really actually helps with is the ability to revert, is what it's called, specific commits. And like, for instance, if you did commit a bug and something's not working properly, you can use this revert command to essentially pull those set of changes right back out. And the way it works is that Every change to the code is a brand new commit. So even if you are reverting one commit, it actually makes a new commit with the opposite changes applied, essentially. So every every single change you have over time is an atomic unit.
0: Right, yeah. The way to think of it is you're always going forward in time. Even if you think you're going backwards, what you're really saying is, go forward by undoing what I did before and put it back how it was. And I think that that is very important to like conceptualize because one of the really powerful, crazy things about source control like this is that it often can figure out like how to integrate your changes in with the current state of the code base. Now you'll notice I said, often, sometimes when you try to merge your code together, there's this amazing thing called a merge conflict. And that's where the computer goes, Hey, I don't know what to do here. The file and what you're trying to tell me to do are not easy to figure out. So you're going to need to figure out which pieces stay and which pieces go. And so you have to actually go in and figure out which pieces of the code that you changed and somebody else maybe changed something in the same space. Need to stay and need to go. Often this happens when I make a change to a file and put it into the central repository and you make a change to that same file, but you didn't have my changes in there when you made your changes. So that's when version control systems often get confused. And starting out dealing with Git, like merge conflicts can be a huge pain in the
1: neck, but they're not too bad once you start to get used to them. That brings us to another really interesting topic. So when merging, there's a couple different ways to actually handle merging. Uh, There's something called rebasing. There's something called Merge commit, or there's something called squashing. And it's basically how do you want to take this bundle of commits from this branch that you have and apply it to the main branch?
0: Yeah, that's a good point, Brad. So, the way I understand it, doing like a rebase first, what that says is take what's out there and take my changes and put them on top of that. So, what you're going to do is you're going to change the base that you apply your changes to, to what's current. So you're going to rebase your changes, you know, put them on that new base. Right. You also mentioned, um, a squash. And what that means is if you've been doing probably what you should and making lots of commits along the way, as you work on a feature branch, for example, right, you know, you added uh, feature a and committed that, and then you added feature B and committed that. And then feature C and committed that suddenly you have three commits, right? If you just do a regular merge, it's going to take all three of those commits and apply each one individually to the main branch. If you squash, what that does is it basically, it's what it says, it squashes all your commits into one commit, right? So it takes all of your commits, combines them into what now appears on the main branch as one commit and applies those. And I think that's often the most like popular way to do it. So that when you see like, you know, This feature set comes in as one commit, right? And that makes rolling back that feature set easy. And when you're in a large team, this is a very good thing to do because then, you know, if you have that one thing that somebody worked on and there's a problem with it, you can take that out of the code, they can fix it and then put it back in. And you don't have to sort out which of these, like hundred different commits that they just put onto the main branch, do you need to remove? Do you have to remove all of them? Like, how do we deal with this? Kind of makes it easier for maintenance On the main branch but you get the messages for each one of those commits in that squashed commit right so you'll see in there you know like adds feature a adds feature b adds feature c all in that one squashed commit
1: yeah and it's it's also interesting to note here that a commit has essentially two parts it has the subject line as well as like a message associated with it so the subject line is supposed to be typically short you'll see guidelines between 80 and like 100 and 20 characters or something and then the message is where you can really expound on like what's happening so for these squash commits that's exactly what github does is they take all of the other commits that are being squashed and put that into the message and then the the title is like you know the name of the pr or something like that and git actually allows you to choose what merge methods you want on your prs so for me personally i always disable merge commits and rebasing, and I only allow for uh, squashing my changes when I merge into the main branch. So we've talked through different ways to, like get
0: your code into GitHub. I'd be curious, Brad, how you deal with different repositories, right? So if you have a project that has like a front end and a backend component, for example, just two pieces, we're keeping it real simple here. Do you put those all in one repo? Or do you make two
1: separate repos? Yeah, I'm always the type that separates concerns in this case. So I would always make a new repo for a new piece of the same project. So like one particular project or website could be comprised of many repositories. And that is the way that we do things at my company as well. We kind of align on that. Uh, But there's another way. That you could do things called a monorepo, where essentially it's a single repository, but there are many directories in there, each with a different purpose. Richard, do you have any experience with monorepos? So
0: I definitely do, not with Git, but at work, we have some monorepos that are basically the entire application lives in one repository. And again, Like I just have to say, it blows my mind that things work as well as they do because that's a lot of code in one repository and kudos to the DevOps team that everything works amazingly well. Personally, for the most part, I like using separate repositories like you mentioned for separate concerns. One exception that I found is kind of nice is thinking about like some of my personal projects where I'll have like a Gatsby site with a Sanity piece, kind of keeping the Sanity configs in that same repository is nice because then I don't have to remember, like, what did I name this repository in my GitHub mess, right? And so, you know, it, it kind of keeps it all together. And it works really well, especially since there's all of one dev working on it. Right. So like, we're not going to have any problems with like merge conflicts or anything because it's only what I'm doing. And it gives me that, like, you know, this is basically the one place that contains all of my changes, which is, which is nice, but I, I lean towards splitting things up, right. And making small repos that each contain their own like atomic
1: pieces of code. Yeah. And I think, you know, to kind of keep going on the pros and cons of mono repos versus multiple repos. One thing that a mono repo allows you to do really, really well is when you make a change, let's say to the front end and the back end, and it's in a mono repo, those commits would go in at the same time or they exist in the same repository at the same time. Whereas if you have multiple different repos, you have to think to yourself, well, does this version of this repo have the associated back end changes? And you're trying to match things up manually. Right, and that's a good point too because if something goes wrong and you need to roll something back, for
0: example, you don't accidentally roll back just the front end or just the back end and then break everything because it would be together in one commit. But then,
1: of course, you have the challenge in a monorepo of figuring out how to deploy all of the many child projects that are in a single repository. You have to know at a per- directory level or a per project level in your monorepo exactly how to deploy it, where it goes and when. So that's definitely the challenge when it comes to managing everything in one giant piece. I know we spent some time talking about
0: GitHub and there's one thing, I don't know where this fits in in the whole whole scheme of things here, but I just have to share this. It is like the most amazing thing right now that GitHub has going for it, in my opinion. I uh, recently was trying to like add, you know, a little PR to an open source project. And I didn't want to, you know, like fire up a new copy of everything on my personal laptop and do all this stuff. So there's this amazing trick. If you just push the period key on a GitHub repo, I don't know if you, have you done this, Brad? Yes. And it's amazing. It it fires up a GitHub code spaces, which is basically VS code on GitHub in your browser. And you can make all the changes to the code right there. It is like blew my mind that I could just be like, and just push one key, wait for about 10 seconds. Oh, hey, there's all the code in an editor in the browser. Make the change, submit the PR. Never pulled anything down to my laptop. Never did anything like that.
1: It was magic. It was just straight up like magical. Life is just too good, man. I mean, and there's also uh, a URL you can go to repo.new. And if you go there... It'll automatically create a new repo for you. It'll bring you to the repo creation screen on your account. And I thought that was really awesome as well.
0: Yeah. So this, I don't know. I feel like in this episode, we just kind of like touched on Git and GitHub. I will say when it comes to like rebasing and issues and stuff, GitHub is this like behemoth that normally is very friendly and plays nicely with others. Occasionally. Something crazy happens. And a lot of times the solution that people take is like, I'm just going to throw everything away and pull it down new and start over because we as developers, I feel don't spend a lot of time getting to know Git as a tool. We just know the commands that we use every day. And if they don't work, we just kind of like, eh, and throw it away and pull it down again. But Git is like knowing how to deal with problems in Git is a superpower. And so I will say like spending some time with like the Git, like the website, ah, what is it? We'll put the link in the show notes, but the, the website to kind of talk through all of Git and all the different commands and everything. It's a very dense set of instructions. And like, you really don't for 90% of your job, you don't need it. But on that 10%, man, if you actually know what Git is telling you, and like, for example, if you commit your ENV file and you've pushed it to GitHub. It's there forever, unless you can change history, which you can in Git. Now, it's the internet. So even if you change it on GitHub and remove it from the Git history, it's still probably there forever. So you should probably change all your environment variables, you know, like all your keys and everything, but you can change history in Git. This is something that most people don't know and don't realize, but you can. And so getting to know Git is like a superpower because not many people do spend the time to do it. And you can do a lot of awesome things. And
1: I will say on that note, if you do get yourself into a predicament and you're having a hard time getting out of it, there's an awesome website called Oh Shit Git, And all it is is 20 different situations that you could have gotten yourself into where you accidentally pushed something you didn't mean to or something like that. And they tell you exactly what the problem is and exactly how to fix it with the very small explanation. We'll definitely link that one in the show notes. All right, well, that
0: wraps it up, I guess. I hope this helped you get good just a little bit. Get better? I don't know. But thanks for tuning in to Dev Weekly. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe in your podcast player. You can check us out on Twitter. Our handles are in the show notes. We also have a Discord community. You can join with the link that's in the show notes. See you next week.